Welcome to Trivially Crucial, where we believe every camera angle, comic pain, word choice, and boss battle is important and critical to our lives, no matter how unimportant a story may seem. So uh, today, Mandy and I are going to talk about something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to be talking about continuity, often, uh, often related to comic books, but not necessarily just them, and basically how much I hate it, but <laughs> we'll get into that as we go. Um, I, I kind of like having have, uh, letting Mandy start things off. It's worked pretty well the last two weeks, so I'll let her start off again. So, All right. Ahead. Well, uh, first off, I'm going to apologize in advance for mispronouncing the word continuity. <laughs> That's how I is that, is that how we're going to say it? Continuity? You can say um, it however you want. I, yeah. I will probably say continuity. Uh, I, my problem is continuum is the problem. I want to pronounce it like continuum, not like – so I don't know why. That's – it's, it's perfectly it's all right. Our listeners will somehow have to forgive you. Uh, I, they will hopefully find it in the goodness of their hearts to forgive you ev- for every single time you mispronounce the word. and me Or any ever. word, because <laughs> I mispronounce a lot of words. Uh, that um, is a common problem among people who read a lot, I find. I, I believe it is, too. So I just wanted, you know, my first point that I wrote down, knowing Michael's feelings about continuity, was that continuity is not inherently bad i agree with um that. <laughs> and i and i went through my media collection and i was like surely i can find some good examples of continuity in here um and i think the key to good continuity looking at my examples is things that have one author um you know it's it's easy to say of course something that's a trilogy has good continuity of course it does it's three books you know, so so I, I looked at things that were multiple books, um, and the thing that stuck, the one that stuck out to me was my Dragon Riders of Pern collection, which is a lot of books, um, but they it pretty much has one author if if you just take the Anne McCaffrey books, and then even when you expand it to the Todd McCaffrey books, you know he he's abiding by his mother's story bible and. If he deviates too far, I'm sure the fans will flay him. So uh, the the continuity in there is really good. Um, things make sense. And even when there are little changes, it's not hugely noticeable and you forgive it because it makes the story better or whatever. So um, I want yeah. to touch on what you were just saying because I, as much as I, I, I mean, I tell people that I kind of hate continuity, but really it's more the thing I hate is how much nerds obsess over continuity and people who like stories obsess over it because there are definitely ways to do there are specific ways to do continuity correct uh, correctly but the problem is that people care so much about continuity that people end up kind of digging in into it on stories where it shouldn't really matter and the main the main way like that it's pretty actually straightforward to to decide whether someone should stick to using continuity or just eschew it entirely, or however you pronounce that name, uh, that word. <laughs> um, so it's really just a matter of if you're going to stick to continuity, you have to be willing to give up things, to give things up, give elements of your story up, let things die. That's it. And let them die for I, good. If you... I concur. Well, there you go. And if you, if you don't want to let things die, then you... 
need to just let go of the concept of keeping up a continuity and a continual story because you're going to end up doing really stupid things that hurt the quality of your broader story and even hinder the the smaller stories that you're trying to write within that large continuity. And that's, I mean, that's really the basic gist of it. And I'm sure we'll go over examples of both good and bad, and we're probably going to find really common elements where basically once you get above just a few minor works, once you start the numbers of works in a given universe uh, increase, then the only one, the good examples will be ones where people just let things die. They get rid of, of characters, they don't give into the temptation to bring them back, and they're willing to let go of a good thing because it has had its run. So, on that uh, token, first, I want to admit right now to everyone that when it comes to continuity, I'm a complete hypocrite. <laughs> okay? So, I will probably say things that directly contradict each other uh, in this podcast because there are times when I want to throw continuity out and then there are times when I can't let it go um, so like every fan girl in the world I have my continuity quirks well and, um, and I'll give you I mean that's the I do actually think it's okay to think it matters when the story itself is attempting to stick to it you know and it's then it becomes the responsibility of the people who are writing it to decide to bother to stick to it or not once they give you the impression that they're actually trying to then you can care a lot because it's like, well, why would you do that? It's clear that you made it seem important to you that this is a continual story, but this doesn't make any sense in the context of that, of that, the continuity that you've given, you know, it's, it's basically us as fanboys, fangirls, as geeks, like finding the holes in the media and and realizing that, you know, this is just not done well. (laughs) And I think that's perfectly okay. The one of the questions I wrote down when um, I was thinking about this subject is why do we have continuity? Why does it exist? Um, but not not even why does it exist, but why should it exist? Um, and to me, the reason why it should exist, not in every case, <laughs> but uh, the reason for continuity is character growth. And the problem with continuity is lack of character growth. Um, I, I'm going to use an example to make that make sense. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Star Wars Extended Universe. So the Star Wars Extended Universe is all in one continuity um, that for the most part, uh, the prequels entirely destroy. Uh, <laughs> so pretending there are no Star Wars prequels and you look at this uh, continuous story that takes place from A New Hope, because there are stories that are written that take place during um, the original trilogy, and go all the way to, uh, what are we at now? The Legacy of the Force? Something crazy? I, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, yeah, we're, we're, pretty, we're basically 40-plus um, years out from A Return of the Jedi now. Um, and it's all, theoretically, one continuous story. Um, and there are good reasons to have something like that, right? It's, it's interesting to see how the New Republic develops or how the Jedi come back or whatever. So I, I want to clarify problem- here that because you were talking about character growth, that it also, you could also say world growth. World growth, so, right, yeah. correct. So, so the Star Wars Extended Universe does a really good job on world growth. It does a terrible job on character growth um, because the authors are too afraid 
to change Luke, Han, and Leia uh, because they're afraid of how we, the fans, react. They think we want to see uh, Luke be the same, you know, same person he is in The Return of the Jedi for the next 40 years, which doesn't make any sense. Um, And even outside of those characters, the ones who are from the movies, um, when it comes to the characters who were made up for the extended universe, like Jason and Jaina, uh, who are spoiler, I guess. I'm not sure this is a spoiler. It's probably not a spoiler because uh, it's probably not going to be relevant come a couple of years from now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are uh, Han and Leia's twin children. Uh, they, they have a third child, too, named Anakin. Uh, which caused confusion to my life for a long time when I'd be talking about one Anakin and all my friends are talking about another. Um, but their characterization between stories is incredibly inconsistent and doesn't make any sense. Um, it's like each author decided to do whatever they wanted with them and then wanted me to believe that they're in continuity with each other. So we had these two extremes, right? We had characters who never changed, um, And then we have these characters that were different in every story. And it just, it it doesn't work. Uh, And and so what's the point of continuity at at this level? You know, is the point just to have a string of plot events that happen in a series? No, that... (laughs) The real reason for it at that level, the way that they're using it, is essentially to be able to, to be able to have access to the characters in Because Nerds Care About Continuity. Like... For its own sake. That, that's really all it is, right? Like, if they're not doing it well, then that becomes... It almost becomes the goal rather than a reason to accomplish... Or a way to accomplish something else. So. Right. Right. Whereas... Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I I love the Star Wars ex- Expanded Universe. I just want to say that right now. Uh, you know, it's... I, I love many of those books more than they deserve. Um... And it's something that's near and dear to my heart. And it is something that I get very hypocritical about uh, when we talk about continuity. Um, Because recently they released a comic uh, that goes against the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Um, It's basically like they've rebooted Star Wars or sort of their own little whatever, one-off story. And, you know, I I felt that, uh, you know, geek... Uh, backlash, right? That right. that was me. I was like, no, you can't do that. Ah, years of my life were invested into this expanded universe. But the expanded universe, if it is going to be this continuous end-all, be-all of Star Wars, it doesn't even do its job. So there, there's no point in holding all people who ever want to write a Star Wars story with permission of Lucasfilm or whoever holds the rights to Star Disney. Wars. Uh, <laughs> Disney, I guess. You're right. <laughs> oh, man. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there's no point in holding Disney to this continuity that doesn't even make sense within itself. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's my, my initial instinct is to say, no, you can't, you can't do this. Uh, there, there's no way you could have an episode seven that doesn't have Grand Admiral Thrawn, you know. Uh, but when I think about it rationally and I separate myself from the sixth grade me, um, who is Star Wars obsessed, uh, I'm like, you know, it makes sense to cut these chains, to cut the chains of 
which is not to say that the Thrawn trilogy is bad because the Thrawn trilogy is amazing and is like the example of what the Star Wars expanded universe should have been. Uh, but the Thrawn trilogy was also written when the only continuity was the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. So Timothy Zahn was not fettered by the chains of anybody else. And in that, he was able to do amazing things like event, invent uh, Corazon, which then became something in actual canon. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that Timothy Zahn invented Corazon. <laughs> I did not realize that. He did. Um, it might have been... I, I can't remember if it's mentioned in the original trilogy, but the first time it is seen, or I guess read, is in uh, the Thrawn trilogy. And a lot of the Thrawn trilogy... really? The first time it's described? The, yeah, the first time it's described is in the Thrawn trilogy. A lot of the Thrawn trilogy takes place on Coruscant. Um, so all of the... Everything you see in the prequels about Coruscant, like the, the setting, is pretty much directly taken from the Thrawn trilogy. Um, which is a good use, then, of canon pulling from... Uh, you know, that that's an off-topic, though. But... Yes. Uh, <laughs> Yes. Anyway, so the Star Wars Expanded Universe is a great example of continuity that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, and, and so this is to go back again to what I w- was saying, like what you started off saying and I was agreeing with is that it's not that continuity in and of itself is inherently a bad thing. It, but my problem is really with people fixating on it as a thing that matters in and of itself and More really, than story. Right. And, and that's the thing that really... I mean, if I were to say that continuity itself is terrible always, and you should just always ignore it, if it if it's better for you, too, then that would also... I mean, I would be basically just doing the same exact thing. I would be setting an absolute rather than, than telling you, well, you actually need to look at the tools you have, you know, at your disposal for telling quality stories and then decide when each is appropriate to use. And... But the idea is, you can't just, you know, using using continuity because you see it as an inherently good thing is is kind of a bad move. But then, once you've committed to using it, you have to stick to it. Because you can break it, right. and using it poorly can hurt your story. And does hurt your story, not can hurt your story. It does. So anytime you use continuity poorly, which is to say, you start to rely on continuity, and then you break it it you're you're just hurting the quality of your story because you've obviously set yourself you've set yourself within the restraints of that continuity and therefore you're restricting your story to it or you're breaking the greater story to not make its sense as much um one example uh well there are many 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 examples in comic books but uh but we could go to just a before we get to comic books because i'm sure we'll talk about those for a while um, <laughs> Mandy and I both like the Ender's Game series, and that's actually an example where it's all basically continuity, and every, well, almost every story is basically its own separate block of time that fits into some timeline that doesn't really affect the rest, you know? And from For the, the most part. Let, the most let's part. not even talk about Ender in Exile. Let's, let's so just I haven't read Ender and, in uh, Exile or whatever the, <laughs> that other newer one is, but, but from all the other ones that I have read... Generally, Orson Scott Card has done a good job of establishing what is the beginning, like, when he wrote each book, here's the beginning state, here's the end state, and none of the other books really affect that state except for those that have already been written. So he always knows what world he's 
you know, the state of the world that he's working in and has not really contradicted the rest of it um, up until what I've read of it. Um, and it's possible, of course, sometimes you just want to re- keep revisiting a world too much and eventually you hurt it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, another one, and this is kind of going against the opposite of the general premise of this episode, is the way Isaac Asimov worked a general continuity into uh, the bulk of his work. Like, he tied his biggest works together through some just absurd writing that m- more or less works to a- at a remarkable level. Um, I, I, so, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just say, to me, that is the example of continuity that works. And it's accidental. And, you know, it doesn't entirely make, you know, complete sense, everything together, but that's the level of where, as a fan, I, I forgive the things that don't make sense, right? In essence of this greater uh, continuous story, because I want the greater continuous story. I want Daniel Olivois to be, like, controller of the universe, or however you say his well, name. And if you think uh, about it, and it's more, not even just so much controller as he is savior, you know? Without... Right. And... and go ahead. <laughs> I was just Daniel has always been my favorite character from that entire thing. Even before I knew, even I, because I read the the robot books before I read the Foundation. Let's, hold books. on, let's step back just a little yeah. bit. Um, Isaac Asimov, yes. who is my favorite author, and I think Mandy likes him a lot. <laughs> I know Mandy likes him a lot. Um, <laughs> he is perhaps now best known for iRobot because of that Will Smith movie that uh, <sighs> that had nothing at all to do with the movie or the book, which is actually a collection of short stories. But, um, and outside of that, he's also very well known for his so-called three laws of robotics, which have gotten spread around in sci-fi circles. But probably his most definitive works themselves have actually been the Foundation trilogy. The, uh, those are mm-hmm. probably what most cemented him in sort of the, the canon of science fiction authors you need to read initially, um, even though he had some older work. And... Over time, he ended up, he had this robot universe that started from iRobot and then went into a series of essentially detective novels that happened to be science fiction with his robot novels, and he had his Foundation trilogy, which was like a far-flung future that had nothing to do with robots whatsoever. Yeah, there's not a single robot in them. They're not mentioned, really. I I mean, there's, yeah, and it's, it's pretty incredible. And if you go through and eventually, eventually, he had these completely distinct sets of books, and eventually he just started writing more and more books that would align with one series or the other, and eventually they filled in gaps that ended up connecting these two entirely isolated series into one extremely long chronologically, chronological history of our galaxy, and into the future, essentially. Yes. And it's really remarkably well done, and and a lot of the holes in the in that continuity, you know, are because this was not intended. It was It just happened as it went. And even so... Because the things are so spaced out, it ends up working as giving you a feeling of, yeah, it totally feels like the galaxy could have worked out this way. It It is still one... He turned it into one continuous story instead of... And the idea is basically he wrote these shorter stories to fill in the greater story, rather than what happens with most of the time with comic books, for instance, where the greater story isn't even a greater story. Like, you're forcing it to be one when there isn't a story there anymore. Because you keep writing these short stories without even thinking about the greater story that is there, and you just kind of make them continually be connected. So I I think the Asimov universe is a great example of having your cake and eat it too. Yes. Um, 
because he wrote each story as a great story. Um, and then he went back and connected them. And yes, because of that, there are a few minor things that do occasionally contradict each other. Uh, you know, is the Earth radioactive or not? Granted, most of that is because Asimov didn't understand all of the science implications when he started writing these in the 50s. And then when he, in the 80s, when he's fishing up, he's like, crap, that was completely bogus science. Um, so now he's like trying to fix it too. But <laughs> as a fan, why is it this, – this is a question for my, uh, you know, uh, hypocritical mind that I don't have an answer to. Why is it that Asimov's contradictions don't bother me, but then when someone else tries to do it, there's that immediate fangirl reaction of, no, that goes against continuity. Is it because when I read Asimov, it was already completely in existence that way? Uh, I would actually I, say, and I, this is a guess, and it's, but it's a suggestion. I really think it's a matter of what, basically what, it, what the compromise is. And in this case, every compromise in the continuity is basically assisting in aiding the story of this larger galaxy. You know, like, they, they don't... They're not huge... It, the, the things that conflict are not things that conflict with the with the larger story, there are things that don't really quite make sense on the smaller story scales, I feel like. Like, right. why would... Versus in a lot of the other time, the problem is the, the continuity errors pop up when writing a smaller story with complete disregard for where that means the larger story has to end up going. And the basic thing with, with Asimov is he more or less had the bookends of his story already written and was filling the gap in between. So he knew what the end game roughly was and what the beginning was, you know? Yeah. I also think, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I also think that, uh, it's because no matter how he changed small facts, um, cause it was always small facts that ended up changing. Uh, the characters themselves never changed. Well, yeah. I mean, they changed as in they grew, um, but they didn't change. But, the but, character themselves didn't become different characters. They became the same right. characters who have had more experiences. Right. They, they stayed true to themselves, uh, where Daniel being the perfect example, right? Because he, um, he is our continuity. Right. Um, I mean, he is the one thread throughout. Right. So Daniel in Caves of Steel is the same Daniel on, uh, what's the last book? Foundation's uh, Edge? Yeah, is, it, is it Foundation's Edge? Is, no, I feel like there's one after that. Uh, Foundation in the Earth? No. No. Gosh, now I'm going to have to Google so it. So it's Prelude, Forward, <laughs> Foundation, Second, um, what's the third one? Uh, I don't remember what the third Foundation book is. One minute, I've got the, I've got the Google. <laughs> uh, the last one is Foundation and, the, and Foundation and Earth. Okay. That makes sense, because and, that's, and For our listeners, yeah. Ma- uh, Mandy mentioned Capes of Steel. That is the first robot novel. So if you want to start in reading the robot stuff from Asimov, you would read iRobot, which are the short stories, just to kind of give you a base in the world and attitudes towards robots, and then start with Caves of Steel. Right, and if you're looking for the definitive timeline, it's actually in the introduction to Prelude to the Foundation. Yes, yes. Um, Though that timeline doesn't include Forward the Foundation, because it hadn't been written yet. But just know Forward comes after Prelude. (laughs) uh, Yes. Anyways, um, so... 
that that is an example we generally think works well. That's not to say that there aren't any continuity errors. There's always going to be mistakes in in a larger story. I think a large part of it is just that he was conscious to what the point of the story was and kept everything consistent with the point of it. Kept everything consistent with the themes and with how the galaxy should change and how characters should change. While you go to comic books and you have all kinds of things that just don't make sense within the characters themselves... And you're basically writing different versions of characters at different points in their life, but people continually... I mean, X-Men has been running since when? Who knows when that's... That, I can't remember when that started. And you have... 1960-something? Uh, that sounds right. But you have these characters who are learning the same exact lessons over and over and over again. They and, never learn. And they've died like eight times, and they've been revived, and it, none of it makes any sense, and it makes it so that there is no larger story. There is no character growth in the larger story. You could have absolutely fantastic smaller stories that are stuck within there, but even then, they're essentially, like, those writers who are writing a, a single arc and have to do, do some fantastic work in there, they are essentially, not essentially, they are out absolutely handicapped by this larger continuity because they have to deal with all kinds of weird things that people have thrown into the universe, you know, oh, it turns out that everybody in this in this comic knows that this is actually the third life of Jean Grey, or, you know, Wolverine has lost his memory twice and regained it, and then he lost it again, or he remembers some things and doesn't. Like, these people, their, their stories are hobbled by having to work around all these weird things that don't actually serve the larger story in any way. They serve the smaller stories... And then everybody else writing things is stuck with them. And it's kind of a nightmare when instead you should be able, you know, a lot of the time with, and this includes with X-Men, but a lot of the time you'll end up, you know, people will be able to go and do a one-off story where they can just take the essence of a character and just stick them in and you figure out what general state this person is in and they go with it. And those, those, like, to me, most of the time those end up being much larger or much higher quality stories because they're just not they're not bound by some random you know alien being the grandfather the secret grandfather maybe of some other person who actually is a clone of the real person who is the you know father's uncle of some other person who killed you know it's just some nonsense all that nonsense gets to get pulled away and you get to use the essence of the characters on shorter, on smaller stories. And that's not essential for all good stories, but for, for something like comic books where every year brings a, brings at least one, if not two completely different arcs in a major thing, like in each major series, those, all of them would be better off by not having this main continuity. And then you could pick and choose. You could say, Hey, I'm writing this thing. And the beginning state of this is, you know, imagine this takes place after this other story that was written long ago, if you want to. You know, you have the option right. to use them, but you don't have to. And it would just free everybody up. And I really think that, and I'm picking on X-Men because it's the first thing that came to mind, but, you know, in while well, I Well, prefer- in many ways, X-Men is the worst uh, offender. Yes. <laughs> uh, because they're the teenagers who never grow up. Um, and even when they, they do grow they- up, it's still, they still don't grow up. Right, they don't learn their lessons. Or at least you can look at Iron Man and say, there are some things that definitively happened in Iron Man's continuity. Uh, Iron Man is an alcoholic who no longer drinks. And in his little continuity, you can say that definitively, you know? Uh, But in X-Men, it just seems like these people never learn 
from the lessons of the things they experience. And of course, because... the big problem with that is just how many characters there are in X-Men. And so you have this huge continuity right. that is binding you to all of these characters. And it's like, well, right. if I write an X-Men story, I'm not going to not use Cyclops if I want to use Cyclops, but then I have to deal with all his stuff. And then all his stuff ends up affecting, you know, a new character that I write in and so on. Well, um, but even going with Iron Man, like, I could totally write, you know, if there wasn't a general continuity, right? Um, you could totally write somebody could write a great story that involves him getting over his alcoholism. And then lots of people writing right. subsequent stories after that could choose, just have an offhanded comment or something or other, or just not show Tony drinking, which would let people assume, oh, this is a non-alcoholic Tony. Okay. Right. And you can imply things but between the lines with But then you could still be writing. able... You, you should... See, this is the thing that gets me, is you should be able to go back and write a story that takes place during the time Tony was alcoholic. Exactly. If that was when it makes sense to make the story take place. And if we didn't value continuity so much, especially in comic books, that would be really easy. Um, right. But instead, we have to have... If we want to do that, we, we have to have someone make a deal with the devil that causes... I don't know, time to turn back. And, you know, you, you have to have this whole oh, crazy retcon... And suddenly Spider-Man's not married to Mary Jane anymore. Because and... it's not cool for Spider-Man to be happy, and therefore in our continuity he can't... And, but, and it's ridiculous, because, you know, it was really great for everybody in the continuity. Everybody was happy for, for Spider... or for Peter Parker, that he got married and everything, but that doesn't make for good... for a lot of conflict, because the core of a lot of Spider-Man stories is that Peter's life kind of sucks. And... But if you wanted to, like... If Your life you can suck to, and be married. Well, and and, the, and but the big thing is if you if you decided that him being married and happy with Mary Jane was too much of a good thing, but continuity didn't matter. Well, that was it. You could end a story with him being happy, and then start another story where he's not married, and you had he has other conflicts right. like it hasn't happened yet. And it, it's just it, there isn't. I I don't believe there is a good argument for keeping this long this decades long continuity just doesn't make sense in any way, shape, or form with basically any major Marvel or DC comic going. And, and it, yeah. <laughs> but before we get too far away from X-Men, yes. um, I wanted to bring up the movies. First, okay. I wanted to bring up X-Men, the first movie, um, as a good example in, in many ways. Uh, you know, it's not... It has some poor parts as a movie, but it's a good example in many ways of what it should be able to be like if you were a Marvel writer and you said, hey, I just want to write an X-Men comic or right. whatever, Absolutely. you know, a, just a one-off takes place with these characters, uh, you know, and then you could pick and choose your characters and then based on the characters, um, I think there are things that, regardless of continuity, have to be true for a character to be that person, well, right? I mean, um, even on a surface level, surface level, Cyclops shoots beams out of his eyes, right? Like, right. like you have right. different, just basic background information, the powers, and he's the leader of the X-Men, you know, uh, under... It's, it's critical Xavier, like, that Magneto and Professor X have been friends in the past, right. or be working together, or have known each other. But it is not critical... That Rogue be dating Gambit. No, it is not critical, and it is not critical that Rogue have uh, ha has have like stolen permanently Miss Marvel's powers. Like that's not critical either. Which you know, in some versions right. that's happened, and some versions it hasn't. And and it's really interesting actually because the movie the movies are a great a great point. Like we don't think about it. Like, nobody cares when you 
when you ignore continuity, there's other things that nerds do care about, but nobody really cares if you ignore continuity when you make a movie based on a comic franchise. Like, the fact that you can do the first Spider-Man franchise, or the X-Men franchise, or the recent Batman franchise, people are like, okay, cool, we're telling a Batman story. Like, great. Like, people understand that the X-Men are the X-Men, but you don't have to follow to the letter what happened before, and you're doing kind of, you're you're doing a sort of retelling of things. And you can do your own mix of things as long as you keep more or less true to it. And I myself got upset back when I was in high school with the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man when they made it organic web shooters. Like, that upset me, and now I realize that was kind of dumb for me to be upset about. But but, but if there was something you could be upset about, I think that... I, I mean, that the way I justified it, it wasn't on, continuity. It was more of a, it's part of Peter Parker's, you know, character, character. to be really smart. Right, right. Like that, to me, that, 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 that walks that line, right? Where uh, how much of this is a character trait versus... Uh, but they the did in other power. ways... Um, they they did in other ways make a baseline that Peter Parker is very smart, especially in the second movie, um, which is, uh, you know, generally, I think lauded to be the better the best of, of the Spider-Man ever. movies. Yes, um, and then even we'll though just, we'll forget that three it's not happened. my favorite. Uh, I mean, mainly because like, I cannot people. forgive Mary Jane for that brown polka dotted dress, <laughs> but. <laughs> um, in the second movie, they do a good job of establishing that Peter is smart. I think it's Doc Ock who says it, you know, brilliant but lazy or something like that. Um, so th- there are these lines, right? And yes. you can play with them a little bit. Um, it, you know, is it important that Scott and Havoc be brothers? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> You know, I that that's a, I don't know. You know, you you can go either way on that. Maybe you could argue that it's critical to Scott's character that he not be an only child. Uh, or you can say, well, you know, I just wrote this X Men movie, uh, and I didn't feel like having a million mutants in it, so I eliminated Havoc. And then you know, when someone went back and wrote X Men First Class, they were like, oh, I'm going to use Havoc, and who cares that that puts Scott and Havoc like years apart. You know, does, does it matter? And again, we're not I mean, even going to make thing, that right? connection. The big thing about that is, if you disregard continuity, then it's okay because you're not messing up other people's X Men stories when you do it. Right. Right. Like you're like, well, people can continue to do it, and then you, you know, on the Wikipedia page, it'll be like, normally Havoc is Scott's, you know, Scott's brother, but sometimes he's not because whatever. Like it's, it depends on how a character is first introduced, how essential it is. You can use them how you want. Right. You know, so, and you can be like, well, they have the same last name. M- maybe they're cousins. Who or knows? maybe you they're know? not related at like, all because hey, there's multiple right. people with Summers as their last Summers. name. <laughs> it's Buffy. a pretty common last name. Yeah, there's <laughs> Buffy. Um, they, you know, they have a vampire slayer in their family. Exactly. Who knew? So it's a very uh, Joss Whedon writes both of those things. So it's true. Uh, <laughs> but but that's a and that's you know a basic thing like and I'm not gonna spoil it. I'm not gonna say details. But the end of Dark Knight Rises, they imply something that is kind of a cool reference to the comics and yet is not would not be in canon at all like it has no right and and it's just kind of a neat sort of nod to you you know it's like hey you don't even have to be a comic book fan to get the reference and know that it's not really the way things are but it's okay you know it's and you can do all kinds of clever things with that with with stories when you're not tied to one huge canon or continuity and and it's kind of it's just a, a great example of this, actually. So Superman, um, 
there are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of Superman stories out there. And generally, they've actually done a pretty good job of rebooting his canon often enough that it's just like, ah, I mean, really all you need to know is he came from Krypton and, you know, is really powerful on Earth and Kryptonite is his weakness. And that's kind of the core thing. And then, of course, there's most of the time there's a romance with Lois Lane, but not um, between Superman and Lois, sometimes between Clark and Lois. Um, and, you know, and then beyond that, people all the time, the right stories where either, you know, sometimes uh, Jonathan Kent is alive when he's older, and sometimes he died when he was young. And, you know, and sometimes sometimes they're, you know, they're both around and they have to deal with issues, and sometimes it's kind of like Clark is more or less completely isolated, and there's some stories where several people know his secret, and there's some stories where several people don't, and, you know, there's the stories that are the more simplistic ones where everybody trusts him from the get-go, and it's all about just, you know, truth, justice, the American way, and, you know, and it's just him kind of admonishing people for not being very nice, and then there's the there's the deeper stories, which are all about sacrifice and so on, and and because everyone knows who Superman is, people can just be like, okay, I think it would be cool for Superman to go through this and not worry about about continuity. And that's not to say that there isn't a mainline continuity which can get ridiculous with Superman, but because he's basically a bigger character than can be contained, there are a lot of stories that disregard that. Um, and I and I think that's something that DC actually does a much better job than Marvel on. Yes. Uh, yes, DC has this main continuity-laden storyline. Fine. Uh, but DC, it seems, uh, you know, I'm not well-read in DC, but from what I've heard and uh, read about, uh, they, they seem to be more willing to let people go in and just write a one-off series. Like, what if Superman landed in Russia? Yes. Red you Sun know, is or, fantastic. <laughs> right. Uh, isn't it the Frank Miller uh, Batman stories don't take place in continuity? They just to, exist? I was about to tell you that, yes. So the, that was my next example was um, the Dark Knight. Um, the, the Batman Begins and the Dark Knight uh, movie trilogy. Or what is the name of the movie trilogy? Is it just the Dark Knight trilogy? Not officially? I think so. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's kind <laughs> the of Christopher weird. Nolan Batman movies, that's right. what I call them. So they took a ton of influence, and basically every dark Batman story takes a ton of influence from Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, which is a was a non-canon story in the 80s. It came out the same year that Watchmen came out. It's four issues, and it basically takes place in a, you know, it, in a an abysmal future where, like, Batman has been retired for a while, Gotham City has gone to pot, and Batman Returns, or the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight Returns, right? And and it's it was incredibly dark, incredibly gritty, and just ignored continuity on the whole. And nobody was confused by that. You know, people read it right. and they're like, "Oh, cool, okay, it's a dark Batman world where he's retired." Like the writing was good enough where they gave you the cues. You know, you could see that in the first few scenes, like. Jim Gordon and Bruce Wayne are drinking together, and Jim Gordon clearly knew Bruce Wayne's secret, knew he was retired, knows he's been retired for years, and they're just talking about how terrible society is now. <laughs> and and when Dark the you know when Batman comes back, Jim Gordon is like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, and it, it's a big bit like nobody could possibly be confused by that because. It's clearly a story that just gives you all the cues you need, and a good story does. You don't have to say things explicitly to give somebody cues 
that they can follow. They'll be like, oh, that's interesting. So-and-so isn't married, or this person isn't dead in this version, or... You know, and, and sometimes you can even use that to your advantage. If in most stories, this is purely hypothetical, I don't know that this is true, but let's say in, in most stories, Jonathan Kent, Clark's father, was dead. And you have a story where, you know, Superman does some stuff, flies home, says hi to Ma, Kent, and, you know, to Martha Kent, and then she's like, oh, you should go inside. Your dad's, you know, your dad wanted your help with something. And for people who are used to the, most of the stories where he's dead, they'd be like, oh, that's neat. He's alive in this story. Cool. And that's it. You know, you don't. Yeah. need more than that. And then you can just tell a story. It's like, okay, well, this is a story where the things, the lessons that Superman or Clark would have learned from his father dying are gone, but who knows what stories he's learned with his father around for longer. And, you know, it, it's it's just yes, I, I am very much especially in comics, uh, it's one thing if you want to keep a continuity line going just for fun, but generally, the stories in that are not going to end up quite as good. And this is, of course, generalizations. People can do amazing things even within constraints, and sometimes because of constraints. But when you have really weird and basically arbitrary constraints that were not intentionally thought through by pretty much anyone, any any ten minds, let alone any one mind, it you know, you're starting more, almost more constrained and less constrained than you would be otherwise. For those listening at home, our connection just dropped, so we're continuing. We don't know exactly when it dropped, but uh, the general gist of the conversation will continue. So uh, I'll let Mandy continue, because I was just going on and on about Superman and how you can you can change what lesson, you can change your story based on lessons learned and stuff, and, and your readership will pick it up if your story is written well. Right, and, and I think that's the lesson. Uh, these comic book... Uh, industries need to learn is fine keep your continuity keep your 616 universe in marvel um but let me not me necessarily uh or whoever your established writer um go back and write a one-off story that has nothing to do with anything and you don't need to create an entirely separate universe uh you know (laughs) it doesn't need to become marvel Ultimate. I can't even think of a number that's not even taken. Well, there's you know, the Ultimate Universe is a great example. Like, forget, because instead of the uh, universes that are connected in Marvel and DC, which also has the Earth-1, Earth-2, Earth-Prime, and all that stuff, like, the Ultimate Universe is a great thing that started off really good and then just is also getting sucked under its own weight. It's, um, it's get, Yes, it's getting bogged under its own con- continuity, Um and one of the things I wanted well, to mention let's step that back really is, briefly and explain for those who don't know what the ultimate universe is. Yes. You can go ahead. Okay, so the ultimate universe I, I guess if you're not a comic book reader, what you may not realize is that there are multiple um universes who are sometimes aware of each other and sometimes not. Um and even the word universe is unfair, um, because it's it's like every segment also contains other universes that could apply. But anyway, regardless, uh, it, it, let's, it, let's say like there's literary universes, and then there's the universes, you know, whatever they want to call them, like universes inside that. But it's a right, so right, li- like separate, Asgard. Right, right. So that's so like that's one thing. Or in you know the main Marvel continuum, like you have your main storyline, and you have other universes that come into contact with them and whatnot. But we mean that like the the ultimate universe is essentially an entirely separate thing, which they can make right. come into contact, but they're generally separate things entirely. Right. So so each universe even has its own like hell, 
right? And they're not the same hell or whatever. And I only mention that because I've read a lot of Journey into Mystery where there's a lot of, you know, this is Marvel. There are a lot of demons right. uh, running around. <laughs> um, it, but but that's a, a good example of they're entirely separate universes, including all the trappings that go along with it. And uh, in a good way, if you're a a comic lay person, if you will, you don't know much about comics. It's in many ways, it's the difference between like the movies and what you might think of as the comic books. The movies are in their entirely separate own universe from separate from what you might think of as comics. Um, in fact, the Marvel cinematic universe, which I usually just refer to as the MCU. Um, but I, I've learned recently it does have a number. I, I don't know what it is because Marvel likes to number all of their, uh, universes. Um, but basically the captain America of, the movie is not quite the Captain America of mainstream Marvel, which is not the Captain America of the ultimate universe. Uh, so the ultimate universe happened because in like the year 2000, they decided they wanted to free themselves of Marvel continuity and reboot. Someone and kind of realized what we are talking about. <laughs> like clearly right. this, we are not the first people to ever think about how detrimental this can be to your stories. Right. Uh, we are not the first person by far to think of this, which is why you have things like the DC Infinite Crisis and Multiple Worlds right. or whatever that's called. Yes. Um, <laughs> whatever that's so, called is probably the best thing to call it. <laughs> um, the the Ultimate Universe started in 2000. Um, it was kind of... Actually, I, I don't even know if we can argue it's a darker universe in general Let's than the Marvel universe. The, the main goal was essentially instead of us having to come up with a storyline in our main universe to reset things, let's just start over with the essence of what we think is important for these characters, write different versions of them, right. do whatever we want. And so, you know, in that universe, you've got Peter Parker started again, and he was a high schooler. Yes. You had, instead of the Avengers, you had the Ultimates, um, and they're just basically just the same same group of people with slightly different characters because they didn't have to deal with continuous story. They were starting fresh. Um, what's his face? Head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, can't think of his name. Nick, Nick Fury. Nick Fury was based Nick on Fury. Samuel L. Jackson. What did I say? Neil Fury? Which is why Samuel L. Jackson uh, plays Nick Fury yeah. in the movies. It's actually, that's a really, really um, funny sort of thing. They actually con- like asked... Samuel L. Jackson, like, hey, uh, what do you think about us, you know, kind of modeling this guy after you? And he's like, oh, that's awesome. And then it just came back around when Great. they go out to the movies. So, so when, when I came at comics and I was like, I want to read comics, uh, which is a new thing uh, for our listeners. I started reading comics shortly after the Avengers movie came out. Um, pretty much had never picked up a comic before then. And uh, I was like, I would like to know what's going on in Marvel Comics, but the continuity of mainstream Marvel, which is the Marvel 616 universe, is so bogged down that I could not read a single first page of a single issue without having to Wikipedia almost every other thing that was said. Um, because I didn't even know who these characters were. Uh, you know, the the very basics of... Uh, continuity if you will it, it would be like trying to jump into the star wars extended universe and having expanded universe and having no idea who luke and leia were um that that's kind of where i was at yeah so i, I was like i i need something i need a beginning uh so i actually went and uh i am i read much of the ultimate universe i've read more of the ultimate universe than i have of mainstream marvel um I've read all of Ultimate Spider-Man. I've read a lot of the Ultimates until I got depressed and wanted to kill myself because that's what the Ultimates does to you. Um, 
you know, I read a lot of Ultimate X-Men uh, just to get, I was like, I don't even know who the X-Men are. At least this will give me, uh, you know, other than from the movies, I was like, this will give me names associated with at least hair colors, you know, something. Because usually the hair colors are the same between uh, universes. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, the redheaded one is Jean Grey. Good, good. I know this now. <laughs> um, and it's it's interesting because there were things they took, there, there are things that are the same between universes, you know, like... Um, Michael said, "Peter Parker, Spider-Man, uh, and, and yeah, and, until he's not." Um. <laughs> well, we're talk, let's talk. We're talking about the genesis of it, so how it started, right? right. Like that's right. They so set it up to more or less get keep the spirit of the characters without having to deal with all the cruft. Right, but but even as it went on, and, and what Michael mentioned earlier is the Ultimate Universe has, has gotten bogged down in its own continuity, even now. Um, Which means that now and, essentially they have the same exact problem twice over. Instead of just letting go and letting the people write separate stories. And and I think half of continuity would be free um, if they didn't feel this need for crossovers. Um, Now, now I understand, you know, like, sure, Spider-Man lives in New York City. That's where the Avengers are based. The X-Men are in there a lot, too. Fine. Um, You know, and it was fun in Ultimate Spider-Man to have, you know, Kitty Pryde date Spider-Man. That was cool. Um, but a lot of times these big crossover events, which for those of you who are not comic book readers, a crossover event is an event that basically pulls in every superhero in the universe into it. Not necessarily all of them, but a lot of them. So suddenly you'll, if you're a reader of Thor, you're thrown into this comic that suddenly Iron Man is also in and all these other people you may not be familiar with. Um, and, and I think those things bog down continuity even more. Now, I think crossover events can be used well, but I, I think they should be used sparingly. Um, and okay, so let's, we, you know, we've talked about this and clearly we've made it evident how we think that things are messed up and whatnot. But uh, to give you an idea, another example of how I think people can do it really well, um, Mandy knows and some other people do is I am obsessed with what I call the DCAU, which is the DC Animated Universe. Uh, some people around my age may have grown up, as I did, with the Batman animated series in the early 90s. And that series, I mean, if you watch it now as an adult, it is still fantastic storytelling. Um, it's really well done. Most of its episodes are basically one-off stories. Um, they do sort of keep a, a rough continuity going, but they don't really worry about it too much. It's, you know, here's the spirit of Batman, here's how he is. He doesn't change that much over over the course of a season, because it was an episodic show, and back then they didn't really do very much in the way of serialized children's television. It was more, you know, it had to be episodic. Um, but but as time went on, you know, from one season to the next, something significant would change. And you would learn the histories of particular characters periodically. And then eventually that DC animated universe, um, it expanded. It went from... So the Batman series was more or less ending when they started the Superman series. And they had a couple crossovers, and they, they did define it as the same same um, as the same universe, but they more or less just had them operating in separate cities. Um, and it felt more or less real, because the Batman series was basically over when the Superman started. So when world-threatening stuff happened, you weren't even looking into the Batman one anymore. You didn't feel like it was absurd, mm-hmm. because, well, the Batman series is over, so who knows what's going on in Gotham right now. Um... And Batman is not a world, like, at the time, 
with the way that series, with the way he was defined well in it, he was very much a, you know, crime-solving, sometimes major city, you know, city-saving sort of things, but he was not a, I'm going to defend the Earth from alien invasions kind of superhero yet. And it fits, even when you think about it, without them spending too much effort doing it. Eventually, that got expanded even more, because they added Batman, um, uh, Batman Beyond, which was an entirely new creation and in that they actually they made it take place in the distant future of the Batman animated series so it's a darker world and actually in it as the series goes on you find that Superman does exist in that world and he's older and they don't address it too much because again Batman in this you know future and new whatever you know however Gotham is it's a futuristic city and whatnot Batman is still basically he's still a guy He's still a man who has to save his city. You know, he's not a world, a world level saving sort of person in Batman Beyond. That's not to say, however, that Batman never was, because Batman Beyond takes place in a in a distant future. It is a different Batman with Bruce Wayne behind him. And so, after that, in the same DC animated universe, they also did uh, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, which brought together the Justice League. And that is when Batman finally gets in gets in on the world-saving action, and they still make it seem, you know, Batman is the one using his brain and money, while other people are using crazy sci-fi powers. And it mm-hmm. still, like, because they, you know, they only pulled the details they wanted to pull from the comics, and other than that, things kind of fill in. They were working on more or less one series at a time, and they do... Batman Beyond got ended before it could have a satisfying uh, ending, so they actually end its series in a Justice League episode, which involves time travel and stuff. And they were very careful to keep continuity with it, basically because they never got to the point where there was so much work that was concurrent that people got crippled by it, you know? And, and these were more or less isolated stories. Like, one person was just doing Superman... One person, and before that, they were just doing Batman, and eventually they were just doing Batman Beyond, and eventually just Justice League. And so they could take into account all of this other stuff, and because each of those stories had been written to essentially be isolated and part of a larger world, like, they didn't make assumptions on what the rest of the world was doing at a given time. And it it works well. Um, And eventually that's over. Like, they now, there's newer DC animated stuff that is not part of the same universe because they're like, okay, well, we need to do something else. When they wanted to do Teen Titans, they're like, this isn't really going to fit, so it's a new universe. And that works. Um, And it's really kind of the way to do things. I also think, uh, while we're talking about good examples, um, you can be creative within continuity um, and free yourself in many ways from it. Uh, I I think a good example of this is Hawkeye. Yeah. You Um, mean Hawkeye? Hawk guy. Yes, yes. hot guy. Hawk, the hawk guy, not the hawk girl. He's like, hot um, guy? Yeah, hot so, guy. So, uh, <laughs> oh, girls. I'm oh, so sad. Girls. I'm um, so sad, too. So, for those of you who are not comic readers, uh, basically, after the popularity of the Avengers, or because of the popularity of Avengers, I guess, uh, they were probably planning it before the Avengers came out. They were like, well, let's uh, not reboot Hawkeye, but l- let's give him his own title um and comic title so his own book called hawkeye um and just kind of give it to matt fraction and be like what a good kind of make him 
kind of make him like the movie Hawkeye. Uh, get him out of that purple dress he's always worn in the comics and uh, make him interesting. So Matt Fraction did. And the Hawkeye comics in many ways read, to me, they read like a James Bond comic if James Bond was down on his luck and living <laughs> in a hovel. Um, and it's not that Hawkeye exists by himself in a universe without superheroes. It's, it's not that at all. Um, there, I love some of the smaller shout outs, like in the uh, Christmas episode, where the episode, I'm sorry, the Christmas issue, <laughs> where Hawkeye is trying to um, set up the electronics in his house. Uh, <laughs> so he invites Tony Stark over and Tony's trying to fix it. And finally, Tony just says, you know what? Forget this. I'm just going to buy you all new stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's really t- the only time Tony's in there. But it's like a nice little shout out that these people are friends this is the real Avengers universe, and uh, but this is just what Hawkeye does on his downtime, which is the opening of every comic, yes, right? I like, was actually, I'm, I'm in the process of bringing opening a thing. It says, here we go. It says, uh, Clinton Barkin, Clint Barton, aka Hawkeye, became the greatest sharpshooter known to man. He then joined the Avengers. This is what he does when he's not being an Avenger. That's all you need to know. Right, and that is all you need to know. And that's exactly what I was saying earlier, is, like, you can trust your readers, like, just give them a little bit. You can say it explicitly, but and you don't necessarily have to, but just be like, look, here's how things are, go. And that's it. And, you know, I'll, I'll admit, I had to do a little Googling um, on an issue, on the issue that introduced... Um, the girl? All the girls. All the what, girls. What you, like, okay, so, uh, so I knew I knew who Kate Bishop was because I am a huge Young Avengers fan. And, um, I, and so I'll, I go into this, and I didn't know who anyone was. I had not cared about Hawkeye period ever, and then just people said that this one was good, so I started picking it up, and it's a fantastic read. Even if you just every once in a while a detail will come up. Well, there's basically one issue where stuff comes up, and you're like, should I know who they are? Probably, but it doesn't really right. seem to matter because in that issue they do explain enough where you realize how awkward the situation is, and that's. Really what it's about is how awkward it is. Right, and, and, and because it's not important for the Hawkeye storyline that his girlfriend is superpowered. All that's important is that that is his girlfriend, or rather his girl who is a friend that he's really not sure what to call her, right? right. Like, it doesn't matter that Jessica Drew is Spider-Woman. Right. What matters is that she is Hawkeye's kind of sort of girlfriend. It, it doesn't matter who... Bobby is other than the ex-wife though I did google it because it bothered me I was but, like but it tells you and I, so I and again I don't know like I knew the spider woman thing but they actually say it I think maybe I don't think they did oh maybe no. I just knew that they, they but, called her Jessica and at one point they called her Jessica Drew and then I asked someone if that was well I no I had recently read the ultimate spider-man where Anyways, we're, we're getting Jessica, we're, we're getting into yes. details that don't actually matter and the point is they don't matter like I didn't know this stuff. I think I may have picked up that she was, but that's not... Like, they clearly tell you, this is a maybe girlfriend, maybe not. We're not really sure. This is the ex-wife who still cares because he's obviously like, his life is kind of crap and he needs to (laughs) kind of get things together. And, you know, and that's it. My favorite description might be a work wife for Natasha. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Like, this is his partner at work. Who cares about him? but not necessarily romantically. <laughs> right. And, and, it's a, and it's a fantastic sort of like the way that they put that whole thing together is it, that's exactly it is like they, they skirt around it, but really then like, it's just kind of, 
you needed somebody as clever as Matt Fraction to be like, hey, let's find a way to make it not relevant at all, you know? And mm-hmm. and and it shouldn't be necessary. Like, you should be able to have more and more stories. Like, that should basically be... That shouldn't be the exception. It should be the rule, you know? Where the continuity doesn't matter. You get what you need out of the intro or, you know, just the details as it fills throughout. And if someone wants to be like, hey, yeah, this is, you know, this is a world where... It's- Peter Parker is dead, or and you know all of these people are broken up about it. If you're a good writer, and I'm not, I'm not referencing actually anything in particular, though many might think I am. But I'm, I'm <laughs> making just me like, want to cry, Michael. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, if you wanted to do something where Peter Parker was dead, and the Avengers wanted, and you wanted to make the Avengers broken up about it because it's their fault, then you just Great. write one that way, you know? Like, you just do it where, like, he was arguing with them, and he went and did this thing and saved people and then died. And this is a purely hypothetical right. out of my mind. And, and if like, you wanted it to be a comic where Peter Parker died in high school, you know, and it's the Avengers. So it's not the Ultimates at all, because the Ultimates and the Avengers are very different characters, right? right. And uh, so you'd be like, well, because Peter Parker in mainstream Marvel, you know, in 616 is like, what, 20-something now? Uh, Maybe, but he should uh, be a lot older he's, than he's that. He's well beyond high school. Uh, yeah, well, you know, yeah. a comic year is not a real year. <laughs> well, comic years don't exist because they get older and then they all of a sudden are younger again without anything having changed in continuity. It's it's a mess and nobody pays enough attention to it. And I, I guess the, the thing that really gets under my skin with a comic book, but it happens in other stories too, is it's like, look, stop pretending your t- like this matters if you're just going to ignore things whenever. You know, like it's one thing right. if you have to fix something because you realize that something didn't actually make sense or it's something that it's an accident that you forget and you leave a detail out that's not really significant. And, you know, and then you it's it's almost like, a, you know, then it's just people being ridiculous nerds getting upset by things. But by like, oh, you know, that guy, he actually had nine arrows in his in his thing and and. But he, you can see he shot ten shots, you know, in two years later, and it had been well-established earlier that he could only fit nine in his whatever, you know, in, in the whatever the thing is called, these stick arrows, in the quiver, there you go, in the quiver. And it's like, and it's just like, because some people will do that. And you know what? Those people aren't worth trying to make happy. Like, you try to get the details accurate, but if you mess up, you mess up. But they're not the big details, right, and, which are like, and this. You know, this, this also brings up something I wanted to mention, uh, was that retconning is not the end of the world, right? If, if you retcon something, that is not t- – to me, retconning is not jumping the shark. It's no. not saying, uh, uh, you know, suddenly you mu- – like a, a retcon or two. Right, uh, we or might even... need to explain the term retcon. Okay. Yes. So <laughs> retcon means uh, – changing something that then retroactively affects everything and basically the assumption is is it was always this way even though it's not true even though a fantastic example that I, I which was the example that i think of when i think of a retcon that on one level i'm kind of like yeah that was a retcon and another level i'm like it doesn't really bother me is uh, the deathly hallows yes absolutely. Uh, there's no so way that was planned ahead of time right so harry potter uh, as you all know, extremely popular. Uh, Michael and I are the Harry Potter generation. We both love Harry Potter. We grew up um, with Harry Potter. <laughs> we we grew up with Harry. I remember being the same age as Harry at various points in my life. Uh, and then in all the of a sudden being book, way older than him. <laughs> yeah, 
Indeed. Uh, in the last book, suddenly out of nowhere, she introduced these uh, Deathly Hollows. Whereas the Horcruxes had always been set up from book two. Yes. Um, or at least they if they had been. Right. Whether she intended them or not, she was able to build from something she'd already created to create this thing that seemed to flow naturally. Uh, the Deathly Hallows seemed to come out of nowhere because I, I have read the first book with a critical eye, that scene where um, Harry gets his invisibility cloak. And Ron does make mention that invisibility cloaks are rare, but he does not make – this would have been the perfect jumping point to mention the Deathly Hallows, right? right. Be like, uh, oh, it's kind of like Percival's – Percival, whatever his name is, cloak in the Deathly Hallows. Or to um, say, oh, you know, invisibility cloaks are, are neat, but they don't normally work very well. And then later on be like, wow, this one works really well, you know? It's, it's yeah. like, and then maybe a mention of the story. It's like, it's kind of like that one. That's really funny. I wonder right. how your especially dad got since, it, you know? Especially since it's a fairy tale. I, uh, fairy tales are something that it's hard to not understand in a culture. Um, I, I, I used to do some work with international students and I would explain, they would ask me a lot of times about our fairy tales because a lot of sayings and stuff come from that, um, that, you know, they want to understand. So it could have been explained in book one in a way that was organic and made sense, but it's very clear that she thought of it late. Um, uh, actually another good example, uh, of, well, okay, well, carry on. Sorry. I'll, I'll, I was going to say, but that doesn't, uh, that doesn't affect the fact that Harry Potter is good. And that one retcon does not destroy the entire series. And, you know, there are some other smaller retcons in there, too. Do not destroy the entire series. A retcon is not the point where you are jumping the shark. It is, uh, it is okay to get bogged down in your own continuity sometimes when you're uh, writing an epic series. Well, she's essentially at that point, she, you know, you're, she was more or less stuck. She needed to come up with right. writing herself out of a happened. hole. Right. And, and that happens. But again, but it's right. not the same as disregarding your characters and the stories themselves because or writing or having several different people or writing so many concurrent stories that kind of disregard the larger story to the point where you're stuck with a bunch of stuff. Like it wasn't that she had to deal with other details it's that she needed extra information thrown in. Right. Right. And that's and whereas the, the example of the bad retcon, uh, at least in, I would say mine and Michael's opinion, uh, is the end of Spider-Man's marriage to Mary Jane. It, it wasn't just that Spider-Man got divorced or Mary Jane died. This, this was a full retcon that... Uh, that eliminated a lot of what Spider-Man did as being Spider-Man. Right. It, it basically said the past, you know, so many years of comics basically never happened. So let, let's get uh, back. Mandy, you started alluding to it, and then I was like... And I, I said, oh, Spider-Man. But for those of you who don't know, what essentially happened was Spider-Man was... Peter Parker, Spider-Man was happy. He was married to Mary Jane. Then, what was the actual thing that he needed to make a deal with the devil for? He actually did make a it, deal. It was with the it devil. was for Aunt May. She That's was right. dying, right? Which it's kind of like at the point where just let Aunt May die. She's a grandma, <laughs> or she, yeah. she's a grandma age. She's an old woman. She's lived a full life. But he he makes Peter Parker makes a deal with the devil, like literally the devil, as in like from hell, devil. And not the figurative devil. Is it devil. Mephisto's? Or is it... Which which devil is this, Michael? I'm not, I don't know. <laughs> it's not one. It's, but it, but it, it was not... We don't mean a figurative deal with the devil. With somebody who has super you know superpowers, it was like, you know, the, the devil. Like, yeah. yeah, it was the devil. It was the devil. And Peter Parker makes a deal with the devil to... For Aunt May's life. And 
it basically reset a bunch of his life and made it that he was never married and a lot of the stuff he did as Spider-Man never happened and so on and so forth. And it's just like, come on. Come on, guys. Like, uh, uh, like uh, right. it's just painful. That's, that's the point where me, as a fan, would say no. Maybe if you want Peter to not be married to Mary Jane, uh, go write a standalone comic where he's not married to Mary Jane. Or... Or start make a new him comic. Get divorced, like make some right. or, huge thing happen, which makes them divorce, or make her die. But, but there's no something. reason why you couldn't, if you want it. There, there's no reason, continuity-wise, right. why you couldn't have a series going on where Peter is still married to Mary Jane, and then have a divergence. You right. know, like oh, we have two parallel timelines here of Peter Parker, or whatever, whatever you want to do. This is comic book continuity for crying out loud. This the stuff is, it's crazy. So, uh, so this is the big thing: is continuity. <laughs> matters when it's bad <laughs> it matters when it's bad because it wrecks stories when it's bad right it doesn't matter if you don't have it right you know and that's the big thing is like don't don't cripple yourself don't handicap yourself by making yourself have something that you have to do well like it doesn't matter nobody will care if you don't stick to a long-term continuity somebody might be like oh it'd be really nice to see what happens after this and someone can write that story if they want to but to force yourself to have to deal with it is just all you're doing is setting yourself up for bad stories if the story is good enough continuity doesn't matter that i mean that's the that's the bottom line right Right. that's exactly it if you know, whatever. I'm a fangirl, and you know, I'm gonna complain when you reboot the Star Wars universe. It's gonna happen. But then, if I read that story and it's amazing, that's the right. That it doesn't even matter. Then I'm like, wow, this is an amazing story. I I don't care that you right. So if I'm gonna let's say Disney, something up, Disney working on Star Wars episode seven, eight, and nine, right? <laughs> if seven turns out really, if if seven turns out really good. It's not going to be that big a deal that they disregard the extended universe. If it's a good, right. really, really good movie that fits, you Whereas know. Whereas the reason why us fan peeps uh, get up in arms in many ways about how the prequels disrupted um, continuity is because, is because, because they're terrible bad. movies. Yes. Right. If like, they were good we movies, they'd be like, oh, well, them. that was fun while we had it. And then you would just be like, okay, well, the extended universe stuff is just a parallel universe that's fun. Right. You know? No, whereas I cannot forgive you for destroying Boba Fett, you know? For like, destroying not- what were good details that filled out the world to no positive ends. Right. right. That's right. essentially it. Right. That's essentially it. But if the prequels had been amazing, it wouldn't have mattered to me that the entire bounty hunter trilogy was made completely stupid and pointless you know uh it wouldn't it wouldn't matter that anything that yoda was completely a completely different character between the prequels and the the original you know like if it was a good story i could forgive those things because it would still be enjoyable and it would still be good but when you make a bad story, that's when you start focusing on continuity because that's when you wanna, you're trying to find the divots, right? Or you're trying to say, like, you, you went against your own credo and it was bad. <laughs> so, and this is, um, Mandy may have seen that last night on, uh, last night, recently on Twitter, I was rewatching Star Wars Episode Four, the original movie. And yes. I, uh, and actually, I, I saw a few things that were clearly retcons that were great examples of how, you know, you, Things weren't intended, you change things, and it just opened up the possibilities of subsequent stories. And one of those is just 
the way that the Force works, the way that Darth Vader was defined, there were a lot of just absent details, and they were filled in later, and some of them, if you think about them, if you, if you knew that the Force was what we know it to be later on, where you can, you know, lift objects and, and so on and so forth, there are definitely occasions where that would have come up in the first movie. But it doesn't, and that's okay. Like, you kind of let it pass, because it's, it, the first movie felt solid as a whole, and the second movie used the changes to really, really solid effect, and there weren't that many times when it, like, it, it's not absurd that things weren't used in the first one. It's just, you know, if that's the way things really were, it's probably pretty likely you would have seen it more. Um, right, or example, a great example of that, um, that most people don't think about, but is totally there. Um, why is Grand Moff Tarkin Darth Vader's boss? You know, it makes absolutely no sense. Um, it, it doesn't fit in Star Wars continuity at all. Uh, it, just even in, in, with regards to just the original movies. like Right, yeah. just in regards to those three movies. Not even anything else. Nothing else. Just look at those three movies. You know, when uh, Princess Leia says, what is it? She was like, oh, you know, Grand Moff Tarkin. I should have known you would be here, you know, holding Vader's leash. Um, I, that doesn't make sense. But that's okay. Like, we forgive it. That doesn't make any sense. It makes absolutely no sense. But it's such a good movie, and Grand Moff Tarkin's place makes sense in that movie. And Darth Vader and Grand Moff Tarkin have such different roles, right, that they're both needed, that you forgive it. And you don't even think about it. Like, it's the kind of thing that you don't even see it's there because it's – unless someone points it out to you or unless you're a crazy nitpicker like me. Um, but most people don't even realize it because it's such a good movie that you're not nitpicking at that point. Uh, it's like how most people don't see the scene where the stormtrooper hits his head on the ceiling. Most people just don't see it because it's such a good movie. You're not distracted by those little faux pas. Um, whereas when it's a terrible movie, that's when you're sitting there going, huh, why? Wh- wait, Yoda is Qui-Gon's teacher, who's Obi-Wan's teacher? Didn't Obi-Wan say Yoda was his teacher? You know, when it's a bad movie, you have time to think about this. <laughs> right, exactly. And, I mean, that's essentially, like, you can forgive little details and continuity errors within a movie, within a small series, and changes that clearly weren't necessarily thought out if they are made to enable a greater story. And that is the thing, is if they had stuck to the hierarchy between... Grand Moff Tarkin and Vader making sense that would have diminished the role that Vader could have played later on. You know, he he just right. wouldn't have been able to be as significant. And so it makes so it's okay. Like you forgive that 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 change. It's okay. You know, they used the whole faith element and like intuition element and brain, like you know, mind control and mind influence element of the Force a lot in a, in Episode Four. If that was all there was in it to episode five. It's possible that they could have done some really interesting stuff, but but it would have been a lot more difficult to pull in to really like drive home this whole conflict and how incredible the Jedi really are and how they could change things. It, it it would not really be useful in the terms of the you know bringing down the Empire as a whole versus one battle where he has to hit a target where Luke has to hit a target, you know? And it's just that kind of... It it enhances the story. Now, that said, if you went... If George Lucas had made the same change with the Force, and then it was just absurd the way he used it, where it was just, you know, all of a sudden they were... 
uh, where effortlessly, Fly. yeah, they were like flying through the air and you know basically like killing armies. As, you know, one person just destroying entire armies and whatnot. You'd be like, mm, no, that doesn't really work. That's terrible, and it doesn't fit with the first movie at all in any way because that's not how it was in the first movie. And why wouldn't Obi Wan just do that? You know, on the on the while on the Death Star, like why would he make them split up instead of just going along and just throwing people all all over the place willy nilly? And why wouldn't Darth Vader just you know forget the whole Obi Wan fighting him thing? Why wouldn't he just like push Luke and Han and Leia like out into space or something? You know, <laughs> <laughs> like it's it, it, it's not like if you give it to the point where like where force control, if they overdid the telekinetic aspects of the force and made it so you had all, like, essentially limitless power effortlessly and whatnot, which is not what they did, then it would just, you know, we would roll our eyes and that would be that. You know, they, it, it wouldn't make Sounds any like sense. Sounds like you're saying uh, the prequels are bad. <laughs> what prequels? In the what, prequels what are we talking about? No. <laughs> exactly. I mean, in the prequels, they went to that extreme, right? Like, right. those lightsaber duels in the prequels are insane. Yes, yes, insane. They are. Like they they don't make any. They they went too far. And they essentially um, make it so that none of the original movies make sense anymore. Because if that was right. what you could do with the Force, then what the heck? Like, you know, right? Like I'll, I'll give you that Luke doesn't know enough to know enough. You know, but but Obi Wan does, Vader and, and Darth Emperor, Vader does. Obi Wan, they they know, right? Uh, and that's why it's so, so, supposed to be such a big freaking deal when you see Force lightning, right? Because right? it's like, supposed to come out of nowhere. Be like, what is that? Exactly. <laughs> like, it's a big deal. You're like, what? It's not, you know, it, it's, it's supposed to be absurd. Like, that's the point. Because, as we talked about before, <laughs> the Emperor is basically, like, the embodiment of evil, and it's supposed to be some unfathomable force that you're fighting against. Right? Like, right. Um, anyways, I think that we could, we should probably wrap up because we've been going on about continuity for a long Much time. Much too long. But the basic summary <laughs> of what we said, it, of it, it's not that continuity is inherently evil, but you're, you shouldn't set out to use it. You should only use continuity if you have a story in mind that, that fits, you know, like don't, 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 don't decide that you need a universe to, to stay in line or that you need to be following in in line with everything that was done in a previous story, unless the story that you want to write specifically fits with that, you know, like right. decide what you want to write and then decide if it's going to be in continuity or not with something. Uh, otherwise just tell a good story, use characters that, you know, will be, will be explained well in your story. And if people have the background that is relevant, that it only fleshes it out more, you know? Right, and stay true to your characters. Yes. Uh, do not sacrifice characters for continuity, which is what happens most of the time. Yes. Uh, character is the most important thing. And it's good that we're, we're stopping now because I completely forgot about my rant about how X-Men destroys Marvel on the whole, the Marvel Universe on the whole. But we'll, um, <laughs> maybe we'll have an X-Men podcast sometime and you can let that off your chest. Maybe so. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, everyone, uh, this was Trivially Crucial. Uh, I am Michael. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, at Auhim, A-U-H-I-M. And you can follow Mandy at Brown underscore Aja, which is A-J-A-H. Uh, you can also check out our website We're at uh, TriviallyCrucial.com, where we are putting up 
we're attempting to put up pretty regular regular blog posts. Um, I think that's it, right, Mandy? I think that's it. And uh, if you did listen to this episode, and you may want to listen to the post-show that we're about to record, because I'm about to do some real talk on the video game journey that uh, Mandy did not get, and I do. And I care about it a lot. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. Until next time, everyone. Bye.